head over to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to do something a little different with this portion of the pas- or this passage here. Uh, we're going to actually camp out here for, for three Sundays, three sermons, uh, and, and go through this to look at it a, a few different ways. I've never done this before, to be honest. It's quite terrifying. It feels more topical in some regards. Um, so out of my comfort zone, maybe that's good. We'll see. Um, so what we're going to see, though, is these three major applications uh, from the text we were looking at last week, the putting off and the putting on. And so we got these three major ways to actually go into doing that. And today we're going to look at uh, the Christian's tongue, our, our words, the way we speak. Um, and then next week we're going to have a, a guest preacher, a guy named Nathan Curry. He's a pastor out in Kansas City. He'll be out here. Uh, and then after that, we'll be back in this passage again, and we're going to look about um, the Christian hands, right? What we, what we do, how we serve, things of that nature. And then finally, the, the Christian heart, uh, and then we'll go forward in Ephesians again. So we're just camping out here for a while. But, uh, so today, we are going to be, again, looking at the, the putting off and the putting on in regards to our words, our, our new way of life, our new way of speaking. Uh, and let's just jump right into the passage, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. O Lord, we come to your word, asking that you teach us how to use our words to bless rather than to curse. Teach us what it means to, to boldly speak truth, but to do so with an uncommon tenderness. Enlighten our minds, Lord, to understand your word, and soften our hearts so that we will soak it up and and be changed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, words. Words, very weird. Uh, Words are the primary way that we actually communicate to each other. Words are also the primary way that we miscommunicate with each other. Uh, When I was a a child, there was a a woman jogging in our neighborhood. Uh, She was out before the sun had even come up that day. Uh, and as she, she passed the house, there was a, a man who, out on his front lawn, shouted at her, Lady, get your butt over here. In fear, she ran home much quicker. She told her husband about this. And her husband, in, in anger, picked up the phone and called uh, the shouting man, and he verbally just ripped into him. Did he deserve it? I'll tell you another story of my childhood. Uh, we had a, a dog, the German Shepherd. Uh, that constantly found ways out of our yard, escaping, running off. And one morning, having escaped, this dog 
uh, was wandering out of the cul-de-sac, and my father came out and, and yelled to call the dog back. Uh, the, the, the dog's name was Lady, and what he yelled at our dog was, Lady, get your butt over here. I was with him, or I wouldn't believe this story. <laughs> we never saw a woman jogging at all. Uh, I had to show up to, to actually be the witness in this situation. Um, but words, words are weird. They are intentionally used as weapons at times. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was in the sixth grade. When I was in the seventh grade, uh, I was sent to the principal's office by my biology teacher, Mrs. Griffith. Uh, and as I left that classroom, in my anger, I raised my voice and I yelled at her, I hate you. And then I slammed the door and I walked out out. And as I walked down the hall, feeling quite smug at what I'd just done, uh, the classroom door opened up and there standing was Mrs. Griffith, clearly angry. And she yells at me, I hate you too, and slammed the door. I didn't know a teacher was allowed to do that. <laughs> and the weird thing is, is, is her words, they, they hit me with the same force that my words must have hit her to get her to walk out and scream that at me. You know, by the, the grace of God's words also repaired that relationship. She ended up being one of my favorite teachers ever after that. Words are weird. I mean, at, at times they're so blunt, they can just catch us off guard. Last week, uh, Laura and I went up to our, our daughter's school to have lunch with her, um, you know, to bring her McDonald's on her birthday. And, and Laura sits down next to this incredibly sweet little girl who immediately looks at her and tells her, you know, I remember you from when I was in kindergarten, uh, but now you look much, much older. <laughs> Laura looks at me and just goes, hmm. I mean, words are weird. They're so weird, but, but they're also wonderful. They're full of meaning, and, and while they have power to tear down, they, they also have power to, to build up. They have power to carry, you know, the words, the hope of salvation when we share the gospel with the words that we, we learn from God's word. And, and what we see here and all over scripture is that words and speech and language are important to God, and that means they've got to be important to us as well. I mean, we see that in this passage. What we're seeing here is that there are words to be put off of our tongues. And there are words to be put onto our tongues. And knowing the difference is very important. Uh, we're going to look at, at what our text here teaches us. And then we're going to expand a little beyond our text, not out into the world, but into other passages of scriptures so that we might understand what, what the wisdom is that's being taught in Proverbs 18.21, where, where the author says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Because we want to, want to know what, what we're going to be speaking, death or life. And so let's begin, verse, verse 25 right there, you, you see it with me, it begins with that, that uh, conclusive conclusion word of therefore and, and that's tying back to everything we looked at last week everything Paul taught us in this previous section uh, about you know is, is now going to be telling us here make these changes in, in regard to speech that we're looking at today so re remember he calls us to put off the old self and to put on uh, you know the new self to put off who we were apart from Christ and to put on who we are with union with Christ um, you know and, and here's the thing just like just like you can tell that someone's from Boston because they pronounce all the R's silent, right? Pharmacy, things like that. 
Uh, just like you know a southerner by the, their accent or the use of the words y'all or ma'am. Uh, or St. Louis, this one's a little more obscure, but you ever notice they say 44 instead of 44, like the rest of the country? Uh, it's the way these are. You can always tell where someone is from by the way they speak. And to some regard, this should be true about Christians as well, that, that by the way you speak, someone should have an idea, okay, there's something different about them. There's something different. And, and so the first putting off and putting on of our speech is in regards to just, just honesty, plain and simple. Uh, he says here, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. This is a clear reference to, to Zechariah 8.16, where we read, These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and, and make for peace. And this seems so ridiculous, right, to, to be honest? And yet, lying is, is quite common in our culture today. For everyone, for Christians too. We're often tempted in that moment to, to think, what must I say in this moment? What's, what words have to come out of my mouth for me to get what I want, you know? Do you, do you lie to the, the customer service person so they'll return that thing that you're bringing back, even though the story you're telling about it has nothing to do with reality? You know, or, or do you fear, as a, as a child, do you fear being disciplined and so you lie to your mother and father and, and maybe I'll, I'll get away with this and I won't be disciplined? Or, or maybe, you know, you, you, you kick it up a notch. You don't actually lie. You just kind of intentionally deceive. See, the, the thing with uh, falsehood, though, is, is that falsehood does to unity what, what water does to sandcastles. It just destroys it. And we try to instill this in our, our children that we must be able to trust the words that come out of their mouths for a lot of reasons. And, and, and so I'll, and I'll tell you, there's a, a more severe discipline for lying than there is any other sin in our home. Everything's equal except for lying. And, and that's because you've got to build this relationship of, of trusting. And, and we've told them as well, we're never going to lie to you either. And that's meant that our kids have ruined Santa Claus for many classes over the years. You know? Um, in the book of Proverbs, in, in 12.22, we are told that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And we do. We desire to, to delight the Lord, for the Lord to be delighting in us. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a false statement, if you remember, that set in motion mankind's fall in, in the garden, uh, which, which prompted the English poet, Tim, do you know uh, Richard Loveless? He's English. I just assume everything you know is English. Um, but he wrote this. He said, if the fall occurred through the embracing of lies, the recovery process of salvation must center on faith and truth, reversing this condition. And the gospel is truth. And so having been transformed by it, by the gospel, let us also speak truth. So simply put here, um, when you communicate, make it your aim to do so with truthfulness. That's what we're to put on as born-again believers. And so then in, in verse 29, you can jump ahead there a little bit. Verse 29, we read this. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That word corrupting there is from this Greek word, sopros, which you don't care about except for this. It, uh, it is used to describe both rotten fruit and, and nasty, rancid fish. Fish, you know, both are food that have gone bad. Um, it, it's a, a beautiful image because you and I know that rotten food is, is not youth, useful for anyone to eat. And the same is true here, that our, our corrupting talk, our rotten words, are really of no good for anyone to actually hear. 
And so he's calling us, put off this corrupting talk. Um, too, too often people appeal to this passage simply for why Christians shouldn't, shouldn't use bad words. Right? That's a, an easy place to take it. But uh, here's my fear with that, is that we miss the point, uh, or we miss the heart of the issue if all you do is make a list of words that can't be used, right? These are the bad words, don't use them. And, and I say that because, you know, after all, there are seven words that you cannot use on television, still. And that has hardly made television a place of virtue, right? Words won't do it that way. The, the reality is there are no bad words. I'm not going to use those seven words right now, but uh, there are no bad words. There's just these, these culturally rude words, and, and there's sinful use of words. Um, you know, for instance, God forbids that his name be spoken in vain. He forbids that, you know, meaning this, that, that you don't use his name in a disrespectful way or you don't use his, way that, uh, his name in a way that just lacks reverence that is worthy of God's name. You know, that's, that's why we really shouldn't even use an explanation, you know, o OMG, uh, because we all know what that means, right? Uh, uh, you know, you might not mean it at the heart, but, but that's one of those things, you know, get out of the habit of using a word like that because it just doesn't show the reverence of God's name is due. It, it lacks the glory that he is worthy of. Um, but even in that instance, right, where we are not to use God's name in vain, it's, it, it's, uh, there is no bad word because we are to use the Lord's name. You should use the Lord's name. You should speak about the Lord all the time. You just shouldn't use his name in, in vain. You shouldn't use it flippantly. See, the cuss words, though, right? Curse words, cuss words, whatever you want to call them, that's a, a cultural thing. It's different in every culture. Uh, in England, the word bloody is a terribly rude word. Uh, but it's not a rude here in America. I, I say it to Tim all the time. And uh, he tells me, don't say this in front of my parents. And, and so when his parents visited this last summer, I, I met them at the, it was at the tennis court. I remember walking up to him. The only thing going to my head over and over again is, don't say bloody, don't say bloody, don't say bloody. And I didn't. Um, I didn't say much of anything to him because of that. But, uh, you know, but even the meanings of words actually change over time because, like I say, they're, they're cultural. Uh, the word hussy. I had to search hard for one that I could actually use here. The word hussy originally meant just a housewife. It wasn't derogatory. It wasn't an insult. It had no other connotations, just that. Uh, today, it would be a terrible word for you to call somebody. It changes over time. And so uh, I say this because it's better for us to understand that, that there are rude words, words that aren't kind to use in our culture, words that don't communicate what you want to communicate in our culture. Uh, and so, yes, you know, put off rude words and, 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 and you know, proper words even that are used rudely. Um, put off racist jokes. Put off misogynist jokes. I mean, even if you think they're funny. I... I can't believe how many times I've heard the joke and someone's like, yeah, but it's funny. No, that's not an excuse to use it, you know, so put these off. Uh, put off sarcasm that, that aims to tear down. I think the word sarcasm needs some explanation. I, I think I've told you before, um, sarcasm is my love language. That's what I would have told you before. Until I, I really got in to kind of understand what the word sarcasm means. And sarcasm is uh, always exclusively meant to, to hurt someone, meant to mock someone. Someone, uh, you know, it, it's an injury word. It's not intended to be lighthearted and kind in any way. And, and what you find is in our culture, there's not a w good word, that, you know, to, for what it is I appreciate from someone who I would have said sarcasm before. Uh, you know, that feeling of, you know, they, they know me. The way they're teasing me tells me they really know who I am. 
And, and so we need a word for this. And, and since uh, in all my research, what I found is that what, what it is I'm trying to explain would be something like silly irony. Uh, that's the best explanation I could find. And so you meld those together and you get this, this made up word, sirony, right? Sirony. Sirony is, is my love language. So when Laura, you know, looks at my 15 astro hats uh, sitting on my dresser and she asks with a smirk, you know, you think it might be time to get another Astros hat? It's not sarcasm. It's, it's sirony because I feel known and loved by her for making a statement like that. And I'll confirm, probably, yeah, you're right, I should. <laughs> so one, one more point, though, here um, in this regard is, is that we're to put off intentionally hurtful speech of all sorts. James, in, uh, in the book of James 1.26, he, he points out the need to not say certain things. He writes this, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. There's this call in our lives to put off corrupt and rotten speech. And, and, and we'll look at, at the three uses of them here in a moment, okay? Because they're listed in the passage there, um, what, we're gonna, what we're supposed to put on. But first I want to talk about this phrase you see here, this, this grieving the Holy Spirit there in verse 30. Uh, Paul puts it this way, he says, and, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We, we grieve the Holy Spirit, we, we make him sorrowful, when, when we don't hope in the day of redemption that it's speaking about there in verse 30. You see, this is because when, when we are hopeless, when we are forgetting our eternal life is secured for us, and, and when we end up uh, in that way very discouraged and, and angry and bitter and frustrated, and then from that emotional place that we find ourselves in, that's when we spew this language that is corrupt and, and, and unkind that just tears other people down. That's what it's talking about. Don't, don't do that, he's saying. And, and so then the, the three uses of the words here um, <clears throat> that we're to put on in verse 29 are, are ways to not grieve the Holy Spirit because they, that when they come out of our, our mouths, you know, as a, they come out of our mouths when we are looking with hope to the Lord, when we're looking at the gospel, at the day of redemption, the, you know, that's the way this is working here. I hope that made sense to you. Uh, and so the first thing he says, we're to put on words that are uh, what is good for building up. What is good for building up? If, if husbands and wives, if, if parents and children, if, if bosses and employees, if, if seniors and subordinates, if roommates and friends and, and all who are disciples of Christ would, would, would hide this verse in their heart and, and actually truly live this, this verse out, then, then our relationships, all these relationships would be so vastly improved that I really believe we'd see less divorce in the world. I really believe we'd see less, less bitter children growing up out of their homes. I think we'd see more people that actually enjoy their jobs and, and get more joy out of the friendships that God's given them. You know, simply ask yourself, are, are, are the words that I'm about to say, are, are these words going to be an encouragement? Or are these words going to smash into them like a wrecking ball? Sometimes we've got to review our words afterwards, right? It's too late. Um, but that's kind of the way it works here. You know, uh, people are, are really entertained in our culture for some reason by, by insults. When, when someone says a particularly, like, creatively cruel statement, uh, you've seen this. There's always someone that makes this explanation, oh, burn, right? There's this appreciation for the insult that's just been made. You ever notice that there's no positive equi equivalent to that? None. 
I mean, say your, your friend is at the store and, and, and um, deals patiently with some obnoxious guy at the store, and, and you tell her how impressed you were, and you do it creatively, right? You're like, you were patient like a ninja with that guy. No one does that to begin with. But let's say you do. Why, why isn't your other friend over there shouting something like, ah, oh, she just built you up? Or you just dropped an edification bomb. These phrases don't exist. Let's use them. You'll be weird. <laughs> and so words that build up, right, can be scripture. They can be compliments. They, they can be praised for a job well done. You know, anything that is encouraging according to God's standards, God's ways. And so we also learn there in, in verse 29 that we are to put on speech that fits the occasion. One way we know if something fits the occasion is by asking questions and listening well. That is a skill that is very important to, to learn in your life, to ask questions and listen why, well. Because from that, you can begin to understand things like, do I need to use compassionate words right now? Because the individual I'm speaking to needs compassion in this moment. You know, also corrective words when, when correction is needed. That can fit the moment. Parents, you, uh, you, you need to correct your children. But you also need to give encouragement to your children. We are, we are to praise God, right? And we absolutely are to praise God for who he is, for, the, for his works, for all that he's done for us. But it's also good that you praise people in your life. It's good to praise your spouse or your children or your friends or your co-workers or your teammates or whoever it might be when you see them do something well. You know, when you see someone growing uh, spiritually, even in little ways, just progressing, you know, that, that you a comment on this and you encourage them in that way, that can really serve to build people up. Use these words, your words, for building up of others. Still in verse 29 here, we are to put on words that give grace to those who hear them. Colossians 4, 6 says something very similar. It says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I think this is a very radical way to, to think of our speech, to, to think in terms of uh, my, my speech can actually communicate grace and be gracious. You know, not seeking to condemn, not assuming the worst about someone, not rejecting someone, rather welcoming them, rather assuming the best about them. And, and here's the deal. <clears throat> you might feel like you fail at this, at putting on, you know, proper speech and, and putting off corrupting speech and really speaking with, with gracious words that build people up. And, and I say that because I know this. I do. And so as I'm studying this week, there's kind of this discouragement of like, I'm no good at that. I quit. Corrupting speech, here we come. Um, let me encourage you to think in terms of improving at this, not perfecting this. Uh, you, you know, hitters and or batters rather in major league baseball on average hit the ball 25 percent of the time that's the actual league average right now 255 um so 25 percent of the time that's a 75 percent failure rate 75 percent failure rate the best batter in the league who is an astro right now has a 65 percent failure rate if he got a test from his teacher it would say 35 on it that's not real high but, but batters don't quit on the basis that they're never going to be perfect. They, they make these adjustments. They make adjustments to their stance and knowledge of the pitchers and the, the, the angle that they swing their bats. They look to improve. And, and here's the thing. Just a little bitty 3 to 5% improvement is huge. <clears throat> it's incredibly noticeable. You know, a guy batting 250 would increase his 5%. Now he's batting 300. 
That's all-star worthy. Um, and I know only a few of you care about baseball. Um, my point is, though, that, that small changes in your speech are actually hugely noticeable by the people that listen to your speech. And so don't, don't give up because you find yourself failing. You know? Look for those small victories, those small improvements here and there. Um, and remember this. You know? Remember that, that God, God's love for you doesn't change based on your success. There's a lot of freedom in knowing that. God's love for you was, was shown on the cross. It was proven on the cross you know, as, as Jesus died. It was shown on Easter morning when Jesus rose. It was shown to you when, when God gave you the gift of faith to believe in Jesus. You know, the forgiveness of your sin proves the love of God for you. He can't love you more than he already does. Um, all right, verse 31 then. There's a litany of things in this whole section here. We're going to look at just two of them, uh, which deal with speech today. <clears throat> First, we're to put away all clamor. No one uses the word clamor. Clamor means that angry noise. It's an uproar, um, kind of the out, outrage. Um, John showed me an app this morning. Uh, the Outrage app, it's a spoof, but you know, instead of uh, being outraged on, on social media, you just press a button and it does it for you now. Uh, it's not real. Anyway, verse 26, he, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Clamor is the sound of that angry sin. Proverbs 12, 16 says that the vexation, right, the, the kind of frustration, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Don't be so quick to get frustrated that you lash out at someone. Don't, don't roar in anger or, or make threats. Parents, again, I know I'm acknowledging you a lot today, but parents, you, you, know, you must discipline your children. God has called you to do so, letting them know the consequences of sin for disobedience is the good thing, but that's not the same thing as shouting a threat. You know, you, you've heard this before. We, we've all probably done this at some point. You know, if you, if you hit your sister again, I will take away all of your toys, all of them forever. Something like that. Something way too insane. And it's this threat, you know. And all we communicate in that is, do you love your toys? Then don't hit your sister. And that's not really what you want to communicate. Anyway, parents, you know, if you do that, um, or rather when you do something like that, there's something beautiful about repenting to the Lord and, and seeking your children's forgiveness in that. Uh, the point is, these, these rash words, be careful with how quickly you, you lash out in rash. Uh, rash, rash. Uh, Proverbs 12, 18 tells us there is one whose rash words are like sword thrust. You get this picture? Stabbing someone. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Um, okay, so Paul also calls us to put off slander. Slander, the most basic level, is making a false statement or misrepresentation about another person that damages a person's rep reputation. Uh, St. Augustine uh, hung a sign on the wall of his dining room that said this. It said, whoever speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. Slander can be a lot of things also. Uh, Laura and I always have played this game when we're on a date. And uh, it's something like this, say a guy and a girl sit down at a table across the restaurant from us, and one of us will ask, what's going on here? It's an open-ended question, and the other one has to actually make up the answer for what's going on over there. Uh, something like, well, he's asked her out six times, and she said no up until this time, but finally, you know, her friends have convinced her to have lunch with them, because you know, you're probably too picky about guys. 
And he turns out to be this really nice guy. And, you know, other than the fact that he talked about his fantasy football team all night, he really was a lot of fun. And now, and now you know, it's, it's kind of awkward because they're talking about their families, and it turns out they might be second cousins. <clears throat> it's just a game we play. It's goofy. It's usually fun. Um, but I think we often <clears throat> play a similar game with people's motives this way. It's not always so, so funny when we do it. We, we, we slander when we are assuming someone's motives that we have no idea what their actual motives are. You know, he, he only donated to the hurricane relief because he wants people to think he's some generous guy. Do you know that? I mean, let's I mean, be careful about that, the way we assume someone's reasoning. Uh, Philippians 2.3 <clears throat> says we are, we, in, in that we are taught to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. When we, put, uh, when we put off slander, we are applying this verse to our speech. We are uh, really seeking to speak most truthfully, the most kindly that we can about another person. And over and over in God's word, we're encouraged to do just that on the way that we speak of others. And in Titus 3, he is, he is told to remind the Christians to speak evil of no one. Right? I mean, you hear that to you, right? Speak evil of no one. That's what he's saying to us. In James 3, uh, 9 and 10, we're taught, With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brother, these things ought not to be so. I'll give you one more thing on slanders. Uh, sometimes gossip and, and slander are, are things you, you actually know to be true. And unfortunately, we tend to give ourselves a pass on that, right? But it's true. You don't understand. I mean, I'm saying this, but it's true. Uh, you know, or, or we make sure that someone knows the only reason I'm telling you all this terrible information about this person who's not here is so you can pray for them. Right? That's holy gossip. Um, so, so ask yourself, you know, does, does the person I'm sharing this information with about someone else, do they need to know this information? And then ask yourself again, do they really? So you don't deceive yourself the first time. Uh, fifth type of speech to put off is complaining or being critical. Uh, do you find yourself quick to point out other people's errors? You know, uh, you did this wrong, he said this wrong, uh, that was so dumb of her. Or, or maybe just grumbling about your own life that you think is terrible. Um, you know, at the heart, all complaints are ultimately against our Lord himself. We're complaining about what he's given us in life, the people he's given us in life. The thing is, <clears throat> Jesus speaks to his church, and in Philippians 2, 14 through 15, he's telling the church this. He says, do everything without grumbling. You want to be blameless and innocent in this generation? And his point is that, you know, you then start right here with, with not grumbling. You think, well, why, why is that important? It's just grumbling, right? And it's because the Christian who grumbles and complains will, will neither stand out as light in darkness and nor will they find themselves holding firm to the gospel that, that is their hope. And, and so instead, you know, the putting on here, the putting on is the, to put on prayer for those things that you want to complain about. I found that very helpful in my own life. When I find myself wanting to complain, okay, how do I pray about this? Because it allows me to still talk about the thing I'm frustrated around. It allows me to think about it, but also to do what I should do and pray about it. Uh, put on gratitude and thanksgiving for the many reasons we have to be grateful. James Montgomery Boyce, the pastor, he's now with the Lord, was, uh, but he's a pastor in Philadelphia, and he said this many years ago. He said, there's, 
There's so much bickering in Christian circles. So much complaining, so much unhappiness. This was never meant to be. Christians were meant to be filled with love and joy and peace. In short, with all the virtues that are the result of the life of Christ within the Christian. Maybe you feel this is only an ideal, something possible for Paul and other outstanding Christians, but not for you. I am not sure that I can agree with that at all. We are able to fill our minds with material things. We can also fill our minds with with Christ. We can. The Lord desires it for us. I'll give you three more quick things. We're just going to touch on them first. Um, Put off the prideful insistence on winning every argument you enter into. You ever talk to those people who, who you just know no matter what, you're going to lose this argument and they're going to win this argument, no matter how silly it might be. Um, something like he says, you know, uh, you can run over an iPhone with a car and it'll be fine. And you tell them, no, you can't. That won't work. Uh, and, and then you find yourself, you know, half an hour later, one of your friend's phones has been run over and it is broken and it's sitting there in the driveway. And still he's insisting, no, but those are the wrong type of tires. Uh, there's always some excuse for why they're going to win this argument. It is so obnoxious. Seek truth in humility rather than prideful victory when you enter into discussions. Uh, Second, be slow to speak, be silent if needed. Whether that's waiting for someone else to speak in a conversation, give them time. Uh, or whether you're, you're seeking to avoid some pointless argument about something. Uh, James 1, 19 through 20, with this uh, beautiful statement, good verse to memorize. My brothers, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Finally, may the word of God in the Holy Scriptures, may these be ever on our lips. And I mean that. When we give advice to people, speak the word. When, when you're battling against some temptation in, in your own life, speak the word even to yourself. Even to yourself. You know, when you're looking to encourage someone, speak the Lord, you know, the word. And it doesn't mean you have to preach them. It might be something as simple as this. You know, you're trying to encourage a friend and tell them, you know, when I was dealing with that, when I was frustrated with that, when I was feeling that way, a verse that God, you know, used in my life to encourage me was such and such as simple as that and that's you know remembering a few weeks ago speak the truth in love all right so brothers and sisters we are we're given grace from god and so our speech should be gracious let us let us build everything on the foundation of christ let us forgive others as christ has forgiven us let us love as christ loves being patient as christ has shown us patience and and so on and so on and so my, my recommendation at this point is, because I know when you see a list, there's a lot of things, and you're like, yeah, that's all good stuff, um, is this, that you'd think about this list, and if you need to hear it again, it'll be on the website, and you can do that later, but think about it and to focus on what is one of these struggles that I struggle with, and which of these ways of speaking do I struggle with the most? And just focus on that, that one to start with. You know, memorize a, a scripture that might help you in the battle for sanctification in that regard. Um, just focus on the one. Uh, And remember this, that uh, God means this for our joy. This is not some, like, do this harsh thing. 
It, it's for our good. And in the, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 10, we read this. He says, whoever desires to love life, right? So, so do you desire to love life? And I hope most of you are like, yeah, I desire to love life. Okay, so this is talking to me. Uh, whoever desires to love life and to see good days, you probably want to do that too, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. It, it's for your good, right? What's it say there? To love life and to see good days. That, that's the idea here. And so may our words give hope to the hopeless. May they flow like water to a parched plant. May we build up and bring light into the dark crevices of our culture. And may we do so with the words that are on our lips as we interact and care for people. Let us pray.